Well, as you're settling back in, I invite you to turn to the book of Acts. We'll be in chapter 9 for a short while here today. And we have been walking through a series looking at what is the movement in the book of Acts, what is happening, how is the church forming. And we looked at a group of people, the church, who were a number of things. First, they were a people of presence. They were present to God and present to one another. That they were looking to each other, that they were looking to God. And we were encouraged to do the exact same thing, to be present to God, what God's doing, and also present to one another. They were also a people of generosity that we saw that the church, even in the midst of persecution and hardship, they were generous, and they allowed the Lord to multiply their impact. Then last week, we looked at pain and suffering, that they were a people of pain and suffering, and that our pain and our suffering does not have to go to waste. Unfortunately, too often it does. We just complain about it or ignore it instead of embracing it and allowing God to work through it to strengthen us, to change us, to mold us. And then today what we're going to notice is uh, people of change, that we as uh, followers of Jesus need to be a people of change. Real quick survey, how many people like change that are here? Show of hands. All right, so there's about, what, two, three, and that was about the same in last service, and my wife boldly raised her hand just a moment ago. I was going to say, I am not a fan of change whatsoever, but Joanna is, and we can see at home, like, when things she's needing to change, as the furniture's rearranged, or new decorations, or whatever it may be, but the Bible is full of stories of transformation, that people encounter Jesus, that they encounter the Spirit of God, and they are changed. What once was is no longer, that there's a change that has happened in them. Paul the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, wrote to many of the churches, loved to speak on change. Just a few examples of the way he put it was, he called us to put on our new self, to be created like God in true righteousness and holiness. He called us to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of the creator. He called us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. He said, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone. The new is here. He also encouraged us, he said, not to lose heart, for outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And so there was this change that Paul was saying was happening. As you follow Jesus, change is inevitable. And in chapter 9, we witness the transformation of Saul. In chapter 6, if you remember, Saul was standing at Stephen's murder. Stephen went and proclaimed Jesus, and they rushed him, and they took him outside the city, and they, they stoned him. They murdered him, and it says that Saul was there approving of this action. In chapter 9, he steps up the attack. Saul does. And as we read this, maybe you have a Saul in your life. Maybe it's someone around you who is hostile towards Jesus, who's hostile towards the way of following Jesus, who may reject it, who may just just not believe whatsoever. And maybe this person is your one. And I commend you if this person is your one, that you're praying, because change happens. And Jesus is the one that transforms us as his followers. So let's look at Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, meaning those who are following Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. 
And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. So he is going saying, hey, I want to go into the synagogues. I'm looking for Jesus' followers. We're going to arrest them and we're going to take them back. I'm actively seeking them. So there's this light from heaven. In verse 4, it says, He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Verse 5, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. So remember, Saul is a follower of God. He is, he is actively pursuing God, but not knowing Jesus, not knowing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So I would say this is a life-changing event, a transforming event. There he is. He's going along, doing what he feels he's called to do, how he's being faithful to God. Blinding light. His voice says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. And Saul is changed. He later becomes the Apostle Paul. And we gather here today because he wrote the letters he wrote, because he planted churches, because the message spread just beyond a small place. So Saul was changed. Those traveling were changed. The world was changed. Saul was going one direction and something happened and now he's going another direction. In our statement of faith as a church, there's a line that I love that's in there, and it's talking about our growth in following Jesus. And it says, it is, it is both a crisis and progressive experience. Meaning that for some people, it is like this Saul experience where you're going along in life and it's like something radical happens and you start following Jesus. For others, it may be this progressive experience where just over time, you understood what it meant to follow Jesus. And both are important because both point us toward Jesus. Both are transforming elements, whether it is this sudden change or this progressive movement along. It is a change in encountering Jesus. He saw salvation was, was shocking. But it wasn't just an impact on him. See, the impact on him was overflowed into others. There's, if you read chapter 9, there's Ananias, who the Lord comes to him and says, hey, you know that guy Saul that's out there persecuting Christians and arresting them? I want you to go to him, and I want you to minister to him. I don't know about you, but I would have just said no. Right? I'll be bold. I'll just say it. Maybe, maybe you were much more godly. Think about someone who's coming after you to take your life. They are hunting you down. And God comes and says, I want you to go to them, and I want you to minister to them. You would have been terrified. Ananias, he, he fights back a little bit. He pushes back, but he eventually goes, and God uses him. And then Paul's preaching to the crowds. And the crowds are saying, is this the same guy? Something's different here. The disciples in Jerusalem, Paul comes to them, and they think that he's pretending to be a follower of Jesus to get to them. And this is the result of what happened to the church because 
Saul was transformed because Ananias went because the crowds responded and the disciples responded. In verse 31, it says this. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So once again, as we've seen again and again in Acts, is that someone goes and shares Jesus, there's persecution or opposition, God moves in and does something, and then the church grows. God cares about all people, and he will do whatever it takes to push, to move, to change people. God's plan is far greater than anything that we could imagine. I can't imagine any of the disciples being like, you know what? I think God is going to transform Saul. He's going to be following Jesus. And you may be thinking about that for someone around you. There's no way that this person would ever follow Jesus. But rather, what God calls us to is faithfulness, to be present. You never know what your faithfulness, how it's going to transform a life or transform people beyond that life. The the great prophet and uh, music producer Rick Rubin said this. He said, faith allows you to trust the direction without needing to understand it. Faith allows you to trust the direction without needing to understand it. This is what faith is, is that I know I'm called this way, so I'm going to go. I don't understand that, but I'm going to trust. I'm going to have faith, and I'm going to move in that way. And in that faith, change often happens in us and around us. As we are present to God, as we're generous, as we endure through pain and suffering, and as we are a people of change. As I was reflecting on chapter 9, I thought I could just dig in and, and unpack and tear this apart and talk about change. Or you could hear from someone who has experienced change, just like many of you have experienced change. Uh, when a, have you hear from someone who has been transformed by Jesus? Someone who has been faithful to encourage others to walk with Jesus? Someone who freely admits that when it comes to change, they do not feel comfortable with it and do not handle change well. But it's had a lot of change in their life. And this person is also the person who led me to Jesus, who has encouraged me in my faith and development as a follower. And so would you welcome my mom, uh, Kathy Tarkowitz, to come forward. Yeah, you can have another hug, absolutely. (laughs) So change is something that you don't love, and being in front of people is something that you don't necessarily (laughs) love a whole lot, too. So is is this any easier or more difficult than first service? (laughs) There's a few more people here, right? It's a few more, yeah. No, it's it's all good. We're good. Good. Because like I said in the first service, we're all family. Family, Bible church. (laughs) Okay. Family's complex, right? So, oh, that's true. Yeah. It could be bad. <laughs> uh, so 45 years ago, you became a mother. You're, you're welcome. So we can, you can celebrate this day. You're welcome. And, I'm welcome, yes. And so the question we are all dying to know 
is is what what is in the bag here? So I was going to say the the question we are all dying, the surprise element. Uh, the, the question we're all dying to know is how did you raise such a wonderful child? <laughs> and by that child, it's Kimber. And so uh, yes. <laughs> no, I just wanted to show everybody the outfit that he wore at two weeks old. This one, the one that's in the picture. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can put that picture up. Yeah. That's what I'm wearing. That's not what I'm wearing. Oh, that picture right there. Yeah. And this other one, it was just wow. so cute. 45 years old. What is that material? Velour. Velour, yes. <laughs> that was awesome in the 70s. So. But it was cute. So. I'm, I'm sentimental and I save stuff. <laughs> I think you tried to give that to us recently. I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so, okay, seriously. Uh, okay. That wasn't the real first question. Uh, what was the question? About how did you raise such a wonderful child oh, with right. Kimber. So, uh, but as you look back 45 years ago, what were some early memories of becoming a mom for the first time, uh, that whole just time period, and, and what, was, what was going on with you? Okay. Well, for the first pregnancy, I went to the doctor to get the test done to see if I was pregnant, and they said, yeah, you're pregnant. And I was like, whoa. You know? And um, they said, stop at the desk on the way out, make your next appointment. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I walked right by him and went out to the car and was going to go home. And I thought, oh, i got to make an appointment. And I came back in. So I was shocked. But I was so excited. And I knew it was going to be a real change in our lives. We'd been married about five years by that time. And <clears throat> I had been teaching first grade. And um, I knew that if and when I would have a baby that I would quit teaching. You know, I would be done teaching for that period anyway. But... Um, the whole raising children part of my life was probably, was the best part of my life. Um, Tom and I have three kids. Chris being the oldest, Jeff is four years younger than him, and then Kimber came along <clears throat> about seven years after Jeff. So there's about 10, 11 years between you and Kimber. So, so as you look back at the 45 years, um, there's a, a shot of our family, mine is Chandler, sorry buddy. Um, is that, you know, what, what has it been like looking back at those 45 years? Um, it was more than I expected uh, in a good way. It was more than I expected in a really good way. I had, I wanted to be a teacher. That's all where my mind was. I wasn't thinking about getting married. I wasn't thinking about having a family. Um, I always wanted to be a teacher since I had been in first, fifth grade. So that was my goal. Um, what was the rest of your question? Just looking back, what, oh. like, how do you reflect on those 45 years? But, like I said, it was the best part of my life, was raising kids and having um, a purpose and raising them the way I thought God wanted me to raise them or we should raise them. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so we can look at a picture that was just on the screen like that and maybe look at you and just say, hey, everything has just been smooth. It's worked out. It looks great. She's got kids and grandkids and it looks happy, looks whole. And it was just this smooth ride all the way through, right? Just perfect life, no hardship, no change, nothing, right? Yeah, change is not a good thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's not easy for me. Um, and there were changes, you know, there's changes all along. Um, I didn't want to come to Marshall. Tom got a job here, and 
um, <clears throat> I was, we were deeply entrenched in our home and our church and Three Rivers, and I thought, if we move here, we won't have any friends. I remember Chris was going into high school, and I thought, nobody will show up to his graduation party. He <laughs> had a lot I of confidence worked. in me as a human being. So. <laughs> but, oh my goodness, I can't, even, I can't even begin to tell you how God's blessed our family here. Um, it wasn't an easy transition at all. But I do have to say, this is the first church we visited, and we never left. And, and I see in that God's purpose for us being here. He didn't ask us to leave three rivers once. He asked us twice to leave. And so Tom said, we're going somewhere. If it's not Marshall, it'll be somewhere else. So we moved here, and I mean, look how it worked out. I mean, not just him, but just the the way the kids um, grew up in the church and um, the lives they've made for themselves, the people that they've married. Oh my goodness, I could go on and on about my son-in-law and daughters-in-law. All good, all good. <laughs> but that was a God thing. We prayed for those kids. We prayed for Joanna. We prayed for Eric. We prayed for Lauren. And God provided. I mean, these kids are, in my estimation, really easy going, um, sweet, sweet kids to go with my sweet kids. So you don't like change, like a lot of us. And something that you have communicated is that worry and anxiety are realities that you've walked through your entire life. And that's something that that I deal with too is worry and anxiety and many of us here as well. Um, so let's go back to childhood because it, it wasn't just this smooth path. And um, what do you remember about your childhood? Um, I grew up in a really, really, really small town. I was thinking about that. It was four or five blocks long. There was one stop sign. One stop sign, no traffic lights, nothing. And um, it was about one block wide. We knew everybody in town, everybody. There must have been three to 400 people in that, in that town, but it was the best upbringing, best place to have grown up, three miles off of Lake Michigan. But um, it was just a wonderful community and, and my home life was stable. My parents were wonderful parents. They really were. They came from backgrounds that were really dysfunctional. Both their mothers had passed away when they were little kids and baby. Um, they grew up kind of with their dads. They were alcohol both alcoholic grandfathers. Um, so their upbringing was really, <clears throat> really awful for them. But they came together and somehow created this family life for us that I never felt afraid. I never felt like the world was going to fall apart at that point. Yeah, and so, you know, fast forward to eight years old, yeah. and, and that stability forever changed for yeah. your entire family. Yeah, I remember being eight years old and looking out the window of my bedroom window and seeing my older sister, who was 18, get into a car with her friends. It was in April, and it was a rainy night, <clears throat> and that was the last time I saw her. I had um, a really awful, 
dream about her that night, that she was really hurt badly. And when I got up, um, she was gone. They had hit a tree, and um, three out of the four of them were killed right then. Well, no, my sister the next day, but three out of the four of them lost. And so that was a dramatic change for an eight-year-old to have to process through. There was no counseling at that time. It was just kind of a work through it on your own. My mom had to work through that, the loss of her daughter on her own. They were, she had Joanne when she was um, uh, like 19, 20. So they were very, very close. And um, so I had to watch her go through that grieving process. So it changed dynamics in the house. And um, yeah, it's something I've carried with me th to, through adulthood till now even. Mm -hmm. You were saying even up to about three years ago is that the, the date of her death, the anniversary of her death, would just not, you wouldn't be able to sleep and all sorts of just um, different emotions and feelings. Um, and then God released that a couple of years ago, which is a huge blessing. So how, how with such a massive change uh, for you as an eight-year-old, for your parents, for your siblings, um, what are some things that you witnessed in your household um, that that really um, impacted you in the midst of that that traumatic change. Um, we had gone to uh, as kids. We had gone to Sunday school. I remember Mom dropping us off at church just down the block, and so we had gone to church and done that. But that accident caused my mom to turn to Jesus. It's when she found the Lord and um, really grabbed hold of him because she she grieved terribly. I, just the last few months, I found a notebook of hers where she had written like a diary, what happened during the day. And every day she would write that down. And then every day she would end with a prayer, asking God to release her from the grief and to, to carry her through and to keep going. Um, it was hard to read, but um, I understood her standpoint as being a mother of, of kids now. And um, so to see her faith begin to grow in that way, that first year after she lost Joanne, was um, tremendous even to my faith now, you know, to know that she had struggled so hard. And, but she was um, leaning on him more and more each day. Yeah, so... You witnessed your mom change and transform, and really from that moment, not that God caused that moment, but he took that moment, because uh, your mom had an opportunity really to develop a bitter root, to, to push God away, um, which is sometimes a result when there's change, when there's hardship, you know, that's, that's an option. She drew near and impacted you and impacted our generation and the, you know, our, our kids' generation. And, um, you know, I'm really thankful because you talk about how grandma was very much a prayer warrior, for lack of a better term. Just she prayed a lot and impacted those generations. And, and how your parents stood, um, they witnessed something in the previous generation, but they made a choice for the best they could. Things always happen to people, but they did the best they could to move forward and to, to have a lasting uh, impact and, and change there. And so, um, you know, so we point back to that quite often as being a transforming moment um, that forever impacted 
us and me and, you know, uh, my kids. And, and so very, very thankful that so many of us know Jesus now because of um, cousins, because of such a terrible reality and, and grandma digging in. Um, so coming off of that, that forever marks uh, a life, marks your life. And then you have changed throughout. You mentioned us moving here, um, moving to Three Rivers back long ago, um, and um, just change of thinking of teaching. I mean, that was something that you were thinking about going back to teaching. Um, yeah. These change moments, like how did you walk through that? What were some of those elements um, of how you've processed change? Man. Well, with the teaching part, um, I decided, I, well, I was thinking about maybe it would be a good idea to go back to teaching when um, you and Jeff were both in school and I would kind of have my day free. And um, so I prayed, um, God, what do you want me to do? Should I stay home? Which is my heart, stay home with my kids. But I'd like to get back into teaching also. And so um, I said, but God, I need an answer in black and white. I didn't want any of this, maybe, you know, maybe I should do that. I need, when God gives me direction, I just want him to tell me, you know, this is what you need to do. So he did, and that's when Kimber showed up. <laughs> so a black and white ultrasound picture was the answer <laughs> yeah. to your prayer. It was, it was. So. It was a good answer. It was a really yeah. good answer. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. And so um, you think of, I mean, there's many different things uh, that we could talk about a list here, but more recently, some change that you've dealt with is health. Um, and not only just, um, you know, with, with age, but just even starting 10 years ago, um, there was some health things that have just lingered. What has that done to your faith um, really through um, not fully answered prayer? I think it's the way to say it. Um, in 2012, I developed vertigo, which at that point had lasted about four months. I went to the doctors here, went, I'm now um, still going to the doctor in Farmington Hills, um, to the Michigan Ear Institute. And the vertigo part of it, they can correct that. They can do those Epley maneuvers where they throw you down and get your crystals to set in your ears, but there's still a lingering sense of unbalance um, that I don't know where it's coming from, and they don't know where it's coming from. They said I have a, a dysfunctional eustachian tube, okay, but there's no way to fix. I mean, there's nothing you can do to fix it. Um, so that's been kind of a trying time, um, like God, I know this isn't a major illness, although when it happens to you and you can't walk through the store without holding on to a cart, um, it's major. And I just prayed, have prayed and prayed, and um, he hasn't given me an answer of like, yep, you're over it. Um, but I'm trusting that as I lean more into him, that he's going to give me the strength to keep going no matter how I feel. There was a part of me that just like wanted to give up and stay at home. And then I thought, if I do that, then the enemy wins. And I don't want that. So I want to give God glory right now for as far as he's brought me. Because it's, it's one of those invisible um, 
illnesses that you, you don't know somebody's suffering with, like many of you have things that you don't talk about, that I just needed to trust that God was going to get me through this day. I try not to look beyond this day, but try to live um, in a way that I still enjoy life. And I want to give God glory for carrying me this far through it all. Yeah, absolutely. And so as we start to wrap up um, our time here is that as you look back through just a number of different change elements in your life and um, uh, what, is, what is the one prevailing message, the one intentionality that you've walked with uh, just through it all? Because varying seasons of life here, some are just getting started, some are far along. Um, I mean, what is, what is that big thing for you? You know, as, as I have been, grown up, I've always heard that God is faithful, that you just need to trust him. And that sounds really easy when you're young and you feel well and things are going along okay. But from this side of my life, I really understand that he is faithful, that he has never left me. That when I pray, and I pray for my kids, or I pray for Tom, or I pray for whatever, that he'll answer me in his time. He's faithful, and he's trustworthy, and it's going to be okay. It's really going to be okay. And I know situations are a lot worse than mine, but you just trust him one day at a time. One day, that's all he asks, is that you look to him and trust him. I couldn't go to sleep last night because I was worried about all this stuff. And I woke up at five o'clock because I was worried about being this stuff. But I feel like he's really impressing on me that no matter how old you are, no matter if you, how long you've walked with him, it's a matter, all he asks us to do is trust him. Trust him. Yeah. When I asked you your favorite passage, you pointed right away to Philippians 4, which says, do not be anxious about anything. And that's normally where we stop, and then we have this whole like guilt and shame thing because we're anxious about things. But scripture continues. Keep reading, all right? So it says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So with thanksgiving, every situation, you're giving it to God with thanksgiving, the prayer and petition. And it continues by saying, in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the importance, is that when we're anxious, when we worry, that we submit it to God, and that, we, as you said, we trust, and you're faithful. And you had something, too, that yeah. you wanted to read. You know, I, I had at times felt really bad because I didn't trust as much as I thought I needed to trust or anxiety would take over. And I'm going, God, if I trust you, why am I having this anxiety? Where is my faith? How big is my faith? And one of the ladies from church um, posted this just this week. Is that like God or what? God has taught me that the truest kind of trust doesn't mean the absence of fear and anxiety. Sometimes trust means you move forward with your hands shaking and butterflies in your stomach as the storm rages all around you. Trust is about keeping our eyes on Jesus 
and taking that next step into the unknown. Trust means that you move forward with your eyes on Jesus, no matter the outcome. That's a good word right there. Would you, would you pray over all of us? Would you pray over the congregation um, and, uh, and just be that sending prayer for us today? Father, I just want to thank you for who you are and that you've made us. Father, you know us inside and out. You know me and where my trust level is, where my anxieties are, because you created me and you love me still, and that just, that is amazing to me. Lord, I just pray over all these people that are gathered here who are having trust issues, faithfulness issues. God, just wrap your arms around them and just keep drawing them closer to you because you are trustworthy. You are faithful. And you will see us through whatever it is we go through. God, we love you, and we want to praise you for this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Do you think my mom, Kathy...